0: Welcome to another Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove. Taylor Rockwell is still at the beach. He's still Island Taylor. Today's guest is Mike Goodman. Mike Goodman, the managing editor of statsbomb.com, also an Everton fan, and he's here to preview Everton. So here's why you want to hear from Mike. Mike is a really good data analytics guy, but he also has an eye for watching a game. So he really marries those two things, right? Like he knows about the numbers and the stats, but he also knows how to watch a soccer game and what's going on. So you're going to get a really good preview of Marco Silva's Everton, how they play and how new signings like Moisey Ken uh, will impact the team. This is the fourth Premier League preview so far. We already have Spurs, Chelsea, Man United previews um, in the feed. Coming very soon after this Everton preview, we're going to have Liverpool, we're going to have Arsenal and we're going to have Manchester City. So keep your ears peeled for those three future shows and go back and listen to the first three if you haven't already. I really hope you're getting something out of this because we're going deep, deep, deep on every single big team in the Premier League. Okay, that's enough of my monologuing. This isn't Shakespeare. Um, Here's a toffee-tastic Everton preview. So I am joined by Mike Goodman. Mike, welcome back to the Total Sock Show. I believe this is your second appearance. Yeah, I think that's right. It's good to be back. Last time we talked XG. I now understand XG, at least as much as you explained it to me. So I'm good there for now, but I don't understand Everton Football Club. So you are here to preview Everton Football Club 2019-20.
1: Well, I got to tell you, I'm really good at explaining XG to people. It's like what I do for a living. (laughs) I am less good at explaining what Everton are doing, but I I am sure we will get into that. I'm sure you'll be just
0: fine. So for people, um, I'm sure people know you, but I want to just talk briefly about your job. You sort of handle the editorial content for StatsBomb. Is that about right?
1: Yeah, I, I'm the managing editor of StatsBomb.com, so that's that's our sort of our, our in-house media side. We do club consulting with analytics and stuff. We're data, you know, we're a data company. Um, and then I'm also the co-host of the Double Pivot podcast. But so those are, those are my two major things, both of which are very analytics data intensive. So my sort of look on soccer is. You know, through an analytics lens, I yeah, guess is a good way to put it.
0: I, I would recommend Double Pivot to our listeners if, uh, if our listeners haven't heard of it. It's a show I really like. Good podcast, oh, are so hard much. to come I by. So, yeah, I, I really like you. Yeah. My, Mike and Mike. <laughs> it's the other That's Mike right. and Mike, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: the other Mike and Mike.
0: Here's my question for you. You're the you're the managing editor of StatsBomb.com, and yet you let someone else write the Everton season preview. How like how did that
1: decision? It's come true. From? I'm 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 very selfless when it comes to this. I I like I sort of. Well, two things happened. One, I had a kid, so I was out on paternity leave. Okay. But the other thing is, is that I am I am perfectly happy to let all of my writers choose who they want to write about, and then I will just sort of pick up the the empty spots. So I have a I'll have my own previews coming up near the end of the cycle. But something they left me Manchester City, so I'm not going to complain too much.
0: Oh, not too bad, not too bad. And if people haven't read it, it's by Paul Riley. I'll put a link in the show notes because I'm assuming your editorial hand has touched this this Everton season preview.
1: <laughs> yes, it has. My editorial hand touches all the previews. And Paul is a longtime Everton fan and and, and stats aficionado. So he he absolutely knows what he's doing. I and see. And put together a pretty realistic look at what Everton can look at for the, for this year going forward.
0: So before we talk 2019-20, I do want to ask about last season. Um, am I, the, the one question I have is, do you have an explanation for why Everton's form was so... I'm going to say wobbly last season. It was like weird stretches of wins and losses, right? And losses to yeah, teams it was, Everton are definitely better than. Do you
1: have an explanation? It was all over the place. And I mean, I think there's, there's like a combination of factors going on. Um, it was quietly a very David Moyes type season in which the <laughs> defense was all things told very good, but their form was uneven through most of the year. And then all of a sudden at the end of the year where like, you know, half the league is sort of coasting to the finish line, they caught fire and played extremely well for the last 10 games or so of the season. Yeah, I mean, I'm
0: I'm a Wolves fan and I was, like, you know, holding on to seventh place because that might be the Europa League. And Everton were the team that was coming for us as we got into the the final weeks of the season.
1: They had me worried for a while there. There there are, I think a handful of tactical things that were going on and those are the, the, they're the kinds of things that are still going to be that are still going to need adjustment this season as we go specifically with who is starting where along the front line the front four players um but i think also what just ended up sort of happening is everybody got healthy and on the same page at the same time down the stretch
0: I see. Um, simple as that in some ways
1: yeah, sometimes it's just that, that that easy that, like, you know, uh, Andre Gomes took a while to get going last year. Uh, Ghana, who was very important, and we'll talk about his absence, I assume, yeah. missed some time in the middle of the season, and he came back healthy. Richarlison sort of moved over to the right for the, for the home stretch last year, where he had been starting either up front or on the left for most of the season. So there's a handful of things that sort of all came together, and the defense sort of tightened up, and everything sort of just worked.
0: So then my big question is if, if someone was new to Everton and they'd never seen them play before, they'd never seen a Marco Silva team play before, heading into this season, how would you describe Marco Silva's tactical setup, both in terms of uh, shape, you know, like the literal formation, um, and then the style of how he likes to defend and attack? And I'm guessing this this could be as in-depth as you want to go. I'll go as deep as you like.
1: All right, so it's, I mean, shape wise is easy. It's almost always a 4 2 3 1. He will occasionally play a 4 3 3 against a very good opponent, but for the most part, it is a 4 2 3 1. It is attacking in the sense that they want to get bodies forward and into the box, and they do so frequently. It is not unusual to watch this team and see the ball on the wing with five attackers waiting for the ball in the box. Um, that just happens. Am I, am I right
0: in thinking you get the wingers like, say, Richarlison or Bernard or Walcott will come almost central alongside the striker and then the fullbacks will fill that space out wide? That's
1: right. Yeah, that's, and that's right. how
0: you end up crowding the box, right?
1: and the midfielders get forward and and part of the the challenge of this team is that they don't interchange in the final third very much everybody is looking to get into the box nobody is really and, and this includes Gilfie Sigurdsson who's in, you know nominally playing in the number 10 position he's the the middle of the attacking band of three none of them look really to create for each other um they are all relentlessly getting forward, getting shots, getting into the box, waiting for crosses, and because of that, really, Lucas Digne from left back does had did most of the the assisting and the sort of entries into the attacking into the penalty box, and was really really important in terms of getting into space on the flank and putting the ball into the box. Is that by accident um, or by design? That's an excellent question. <laughs> <laughs> it's. Hard to say. I mean, I think if you look at his at Marco Silva's previous stops at Hull at Watford, there was some of this in that they his teams didn't control the midfield, but they did attack. Um, so, so to that degree, it's by design. Now, if you just sort of like waved a magic wand and replaced you know uh, Sigurdsson with say David Silva, like, how much does that impact what the team is doing? Probably a lot. So I think it's, it, you know, it's, it's sort of a little from column A and a little from column B. OK. Um, but what that means is that because of the way the attack works, defending is, a, is an adventure. Um, <laughs> they play like an aggressive press right? because right. they have so many bodies forward that they, they try to win the ball back. But it's not like super effective. What was great last season is that that Ghana, just a guy, would sit behind that press. And he had an unbelievably great season cleaning everything up. Yeah. Um, just I imagine good, his recoveries on the radar were off the chart. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and you know, the, the sort of, you know, Stasvon tracks pressures, right? Like, it's just all of the defensive stats were, like, huge. And he made everything else to the extent that it worked, work. Um, and Everton were a very good defensive team last year like because of that. Um, and, and basically what would happen is if the press broke down, Ghana would, would rescue them and let them sort of regain their equilibrium in defense um, and either win the ball back or slow opposition transition and allow Everton to, to drop behind the ball. Uh, and then they would almost become a four four two in defense with um, Sigurdsson pressing up alongside the striker. Um, to sort of pressure the center backs and and initiate their defending, and so, that, that that's that's how the team worked and functioned for the most part. And it did, like we said, it, in stretches it worked really well, and in stretches they, what happened was they would struggle to attack. Um, they would struggle to create goals. What what, what went on in the middle of the season was they really started struggling to create goals, and so they tried to open up even more. And rather than that fixing the problem, that just made their defense worse.
0: Um, so be, before we talk about uh, Idris Agoneghe's, um absence, because obviously he's, he's left the, the club, I want to go one layer deeper on the pressing, if you, if you don't mind. Because yeah. I feel like we're in an era where so many teams now have a press. that I, almost, yeah. I like to figure out exactly how they press. Yeah. And the, the one exp- I saw a TIFO football explainer last season, so I don't know if this is still the case. But this TIFO football expert – you know TIFO football, I'm assuming, right? Oh, they're Um, great.
1: I I love their – Yeah, they're
0: really good, right? Um, Essentially said that a Marco Silva press is initially the attackers, you know, if the defenders have the ball, so they're in possession, Everton's attackers would not go to the man, but they would cut off passing lanes. That's right. They would force the ball wide, and then once it was wide, they would switch to, uh, like, pressuring the man to win the ball back. And that – some of the breakdown might have been that, like, that, that wasn't always a, like, a smoother transition and everybody wasn't always on the same page um, until the end of the season
1: came around. So the, I think there's, there's two things, right? Like, that is clearly what Everton want to do when the opposition has settled possession. So when they have the ball and they're trying to work the ball up the field. And that, that, that's right. Sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't. It got better as the season went on. But the other part of sort of their defensive press is okay. What happens in transition? What happens when Everton has the ball and then they lose the ball? Right. Um, And in those moments, because they are so aggressive and have so many players up the field, they do use what you know we sort of like a gagging press or a counter press, basically, where they just they have so many players up the field that they try to win the ball back quickly. and that was extremely mediocre in, in execution. <laughs> extremely um, mediocre. Yes, and, <laughs> and I don't think they really got punished for it because of Ghana, right? Yeah, because they didn't. Because they could do that. Because if that counter press got broken, as it did not infrequently, Ghana was there to mop everything up.
0: Right. Because you um, at least unset. Even if you didn't win the ball back, you right. wouldn't settle them enough that then uh, Ghana could take advantage of the slightly loose possession from the other team.
1: That's exactly right. And when you have a player like Ghana, you have a lot more margin for, like, what does unsettling them enough mean, right? Right. Like, it doesn't take a very misplayed pass for Ghana to be able to take advantage of that. Um, whereas, like, if you have a, a less accomplished defensive midfielder, you, <laughs> you it, things might get tricky.
0: So, uh, please refresh my memory. Where has Didrisse Ghana yet gone? I can't remember who signed him. Because he was, yeah, he's it got, was he's, PSG in January, right? But then that didn't go through. And, and it
1: was... And it was PSG again. PSG oh, they came, came back. back. They came back. Yeah. Okay. PS, PSG just, as an aside, added both uh, Ghana and uh, Herrera from Manchester United. So they Ooh. have a pair of real action midfielders over there this year. Wow. And Verratti's um, already there, right? Yes.
0: Yes. All right. I might watch some PSG games this year. Then. Yes. Exactly.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah. So so he's gone now, and that's a that's. You understand it if you're everton, like they got a decent amount of money for him um and he's twenty nine so right. you know getting twenty seven million pounds for for a twenty nine year old who is sort of nearing the end of if not at the end of his prime plus running his contract down like that makes a lot of sense um But they're gonna struggle to replace what he brought because he was great last year.
0: So the two major defensive midfieldish signings that I see are Fabian Delph from Manchester City, Mm -hmm. which by the way is a very Everton signing, that feels like to Uh, me. That feels like Phil Neville leaving Man United for Everton kind of thing.
1: Yeah, no, it is a very (laughs) Everton signing and not necessarily in a good way. And that like I think I think like for whatever, they paid like nine million pounds. Yeah. Like I I think it's fine for the money. Um, but he's 29. He's going to want minutes. Like you buy him to play him and he's not going to be here in three years. Right. So it's a very like churning money around type of a signing.
0: And then but- the other guy is Jean-Philippe Gabam- Gabamin. Am I pronouncing that correctly?
1: Jean-Philippe Gabamin, Gabamin? I believe. Gabamin,
0: okay. Uh, he, so what, he, he's French and Ivory Coast, right? French yeah, and Ivory. he did
1: one of those. He did one of those introductory videos where he pronounced his uh, his name for everybody, and he pronounced it three different ways. Which I just interpreted <laughs> as okay, great. There's three different ways I can mess up his, his name. Maybe he's messing with us. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so he is a defensive midfielder slash center back uh, who signed from Mines, and oh, from the Bundesliga, Ligue 1. not from Legan. It's interesting. Yes, um, and there are things to like about him um, but he is not the kind of player that 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 Ghana was. He is not an all action rangy midfielder who can do everything defensively okay um, he can he 's somewhat more limited in mobility uh, he has some degree of potential he 's twenty three but he just he does not sort of statistically pop the the indicators where you look at this and say oh this is this is perhaps a future star. He pops indicators that say oh you know if you can slot him in at center back where you have a um what like a like where you where you can take advantage of him being a very mobile center back and not really lose anything defensively that might be a really nice fit. But if you're playing him in a defensive midfield role he's he profiles as a much more average defensive midfielder.
0: So we we've got Gabamin, we've got uh we've got Andre Gomez has signed permanently. we've got Fabian Delph. Um, you've got Morgan Schneider is still there, James McCarthy's still there. Yeah. Do everton have too many central
1: midfielders? I mean Everton have too many players, period. They okay. have and this this is this is Message is, like, is still there as well, right? Yes. Um and this is this is the this is the Fabian Delph issue, right? Where you you sign these guys when they're they're they're, and, and then you give them money, and you know McCarthy breaks down, Bestage it turns out just isn't really good enough, um, and they just sort of hang around on the books forever. <laughs> and like you know, like Schneiderlin, you you still expect to get some production out of. He played yeah. a bunch of minutes last year. He was the like. Against, again, against good teams, you would occasionally see him and Ghana start next to each other. Um, I, I, I expect that he will play some defensive midfielder minutes this year. Um, but other than that, just so many of these guys are just they're, – they're bets that didn't work out. Yeah. They're, they're older players that are still sort of like – that they haven't been able to move on from that you just don't expect them to to contribute and that they do sort of like – bog down the books in a very real way.
0: And I don't think I even mentioned Tom Davies, who I, I kind of like every time I see yeah, him play. So I would, are I these would, guys in Tom Davies' way? Shouldn't they just clear the way for Tom Davies?
1: You know, I don't think it's a guarantee that Tom Davis is going to take the developmental leap and become um, an above-average uh, Premier League midfielder but I okay. think he's done enough over the years to earn the chance to do that right. and maybe he will this year I mean I think it's really possible that you'll see Gomes starting every, every day as the more you know every week as the more p- attacking center midfielder and that there's going to be a lot of mixing and matching o- over the season as uh, Marco Silva looks for something. So that's kind of um, the
0: balance then that the, in the 4-2-3-1 yeah. the two are like going to be a 6 and an 8 a more defensive and a more a more attacking that's, midfielder
1: that's what it's been um and the things that andre Gomes does pretty well is dribble the ball forward out of midfield and pass the ball forward out of midfield and he does not defend particularly robustly um so the question is can somebody like tom davis uh develop enough of a defensive game to complement that right can fabian Delph? you know does he you know it's been a long time since we've seen him play regularly in midfield yeah you know walking out of you know three years of Pep Guardiola, um, does he have sort of a, a range of passing and defending that'll make him just a? it's possible he'll just become a fixture in midfield. Yeah. Like I could see that happening. Like that's the upside of that move for this year. Um but it would be a different like it would be a different fit than Ghana was there's nobody among all these midfielders who you look at and say, okay, they're the replacement for Ghana. What it is is a whole bunch of guys who are imperfect in their own way who you're hoping will do enough of the things that they are good at to make it all work.
0: So then the hope maybe is that the, the pressing from the front, say, four is maybe better last season because yes. they've had a whole extra year to work on it. So we don't ha- you don't have to rely on Ghana um, sort of sweeping everything up. Maybe, maybe yeah, Everton I, get I, the ball in the first phase of the press.
1: Right. And you hope that sort of the personnel that they sort of settled on as the season went on are better than what it was last year, right? So last yeah. year, um, Theo Walcott played a lot of, in the first half of the season and not very much in the second half of the season. Um, they were sort of struggling for a striker, for a consistent striker all through last year. Sometimes Richarlison played up top. Sometimes it was Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Uh, sometimes it was Saint-Tosin, Um And – you know, those guys all, again, brought different things to the table, but like Tosin didn't press at all. Um, Calvert Lewin is pretty good at hold up play, was sort of game defensively, but didn't get a lot of shots. And Richarlison is better as a winger. Um, but when they settled on Calvert Lewin and then uh, Bernard Sigurdsson and then Rashawlinson on the right, that sort of hit the balance from both sides. Um, and maybe if you you know if, if Moise Keane steps in you know he he's young and immensely talented although without really a a, a track record of doing anything defensively yeah um, so either Marco Silva brings that out of him or he brings a, so much to the table in attack that it counterbalances it anyway. Or he struggles, right? Like those are the three options kind of. Um, so if
0: people aren't aware of Moisey Kinn, then uh, it, he's a 19-year-old Italian striker, signed from Juventus. I think it was 27.5 million euros, possibly raising to 30. So it's a pretty big sign-in for Everton. Um, and especially – to me, it feels kind of like a high-profile signing, but that may be – you know, because I'm kind of like – I always keep an eye on the up-and-coming young players. So I can't tell you if I know his name better than most people or if he already had a sort of big profile before coming to, to Everton. But it's a signing to be at least excited about, right?
1: Yeah, sure. So, like, he's a he's a 19-year-old who was getting minutes at Juventus last season. Like, that's – yeah. That's really good pedigree. And those minutes were i mean, those minutes were good minutes. He put up a lot of production in, in, in the minutes that he played and also clearly didn't want to be a Juventus anymore. Yeah. Because um, he wants to play, I assume, right? I mean, part of it was he wanted to play. Part of it was he got racially abused while he, he was on did. the field and the team did not back him up.
0: Yes. Um, Benucci. I, I remember Benucci being yes. the one who didn't choose the right words at all afterwards.
1: It was it was Benucci who sort of both sides did, and then the manager yeah. of Max Allegri as well, and then I mean Allegri is no longer at Juventus, but clearly that soured a lot, understandably. Right. And so he had um, he was already in the process of running down his contract, which is why the the transfer fee was so reasonable. Um,
0: look, this is, <laughs> is it just, crazy that we're calling thirty million euros reasonable? I'm not even disagreeing yeah, with mean, you.
1: <laughs> yeah, but like you know you, you look around, right? Like like the the prices this summer. Like Yuri Thielmans, who's a midfielder, so it's not like an apples to apples comparison, went to forty million to, to yeah. Leicester City, you know, and Maguire going for eighty million, eighty five million to Manchester United. Like it's Jao Phoenix numbers... is hundred
0: and twenty six million.
1: Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's just you know, it, it it is just kind of the world we live in, right? <laughs> um, so you know, this is the this is now the second summer in a row after Richarlison. Uh, who was himself 40 million um, that that everton have made the kind of signing you want to see like if you're gonna spend a lot of money you do it on somebody who is young with a lot of potential into to develop into something special um, rather than spending a lot of money on somebody who's 27 28 29 years old so, um, so that's that's great what what do you know about
0: Moise Ken in terms of his sort of uh playing profile like what does his radar what does his stats bomb radar look like yeah, so for example is he, he a target striker is he running in behind is he a dribbly kind of guy what what he's do we a know
1: dribble, he is a dribbly kind of guy who gets a lot of shots and scores a lot of goals he's not um he's not a target man in that he doesn't really get or has not yet got on gotten on the end of crosses so that worries you a little bit given what i was talking about yeah. about everton's tactical approach um I'm not sure it means that he can't, but he didn't. I see. Um, but he's also quite good with the ball at his feet. Um, he's not a. He doesn't yet, or hasn't yet, demonstrated a real range of passing. But he is. I mean, you know, sort of from the first touch perspective, from you know, getting the ball on the half turn and beating somebody off the dribble. He's really, really strong at that. Um, and so, you know, it's it's a really mouth-watering set of skills, but at 19, you just sort of don't know yet whether those skills will cohere into like a cohesive, really good player. But the the goal-scoring numbers that he's put up already are the kinds of numbers that superstars tend to put up when they're young. Now, Mm. lots of people put up those numbers and then don't become superstars, but it's very rare to find somebody who at 24 looks like a world-beating striker who wasn't scoring like Keane was a- yeah. at night.
0: So hopefully Moise Ken is not the new Francis Jeffers or Michael Branch.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, will say, I, will, I will also say that like Everton's past under David Moyes was littered with, you know, the next big thing strikers yeah. that turned out to be nothing. So, uh-huh. you know.
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe it changes the way Everton play a little bit. Maybe Moise Ken comes deeper than Dominic Calvert-Lewin would because then it's he can possible. receive
1: the ball and run at people. It's definitely possible because what what Calvert Lewin is is legitimately good at is being a target man in the air. Um, he's he's tall and very good at winning aerial battles, and and that's um, like like in a way that's unusual for young strikers. And they you know Everton to a certain degree when they decided and settled on playing Calvert Lewin took advantage of that. Um, so it is certainly possible that what you could see is them playing the ball more into Keane's. Keen's feet and working from that regard i mean the concern that you have though is that i mean none of the wingers that they have really like to run in behind walcott kind of does but like i think if walcott is playing a lot you're you're sort of in trouble given everything he takes off the table yeah um
0: not richarlison i can imagine richarlison i've seen richarlison get himself in the box a lot
1: he loves the ball at his feet um, he see. loves to pull wide onto the wing, get the ball into his feet, and then square up a defender and take them on. Or he loves to get in the box without the ball, right? Like those are the things that he does. But if you're looking for, you know, it's kind of an increasingly rare skill in in the modern era for whatever reason that when you have a defense that plays a high line, that you have these wingers who are looking to make runs in behind rather than receive the ball to feet. It's weird, um, right? It's such an old-fashioned thing that used to be really is, effective. It, yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, I think that there are probably sort of, you know, we could we could spend hours debating the developmental reasons for it or, or what happened to the game and why that has led this to be the case. I have theories that perhaps we might see it become reborn over the next few years as pressing becomes so prevalent across all the major leagues. Because there's space so they, to do it. Right, exactly. But it, it is just sort of like, you know, if you look at the top teams across Europe and the Premier League, most of them don't have a player that wants to do it. And the ones that do stand out, right? Like, um, Young Min Sun does, and it stands out. Yeah, um, Marcus Rashford does, and it stands out. But most of these players, right? Like, the difference at Manchester United between Rashford and Martial... Is that Martial wants the ball at his feet and is quite good at doing that. And Rashford is happy to run in behind and get the ball that way and is quite good at doing that. Right.
0: We are breaking into the Everton preview to interrupt Taylor's vacation yet again. Taylor, I apologize, but also hello.
2: Hello. Island Taylor doesn't mind. He's happy to hear these things. He's happy to hear your voice,
0: too. Island Taylor is so chill. Well,
2: i haven't been talking about Liverpool or Man City yet, which will just make me sad. So right now I'm happy.
0: Should I not call you for those ads? I uh, know,
2: please
0: don't. <laughs> you know I will, right? There's no one else to call. I, nah, I call somebody else. It's cool. <laughs> well, okay, so um, I was talking to Mike Goodman about Everton. Mm-hmm. I want to talk to you about cooking. How about that? Okay,
2: <laughs> That seems like a a good order of operations. Talk to Mike about soccer, talk to me about food or something.
0: Mike has one set of expertise, you have another. Um, (laughs) So today's show is sponsored by HelloFresh, a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans and delivers step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook, eat and enjoy.
2: That's right. They make conquering the kitchen a reality with deliciously simple recipes, which is always very much appreciated because, again, I talked about this the other day, but when you're at the beach, you don't have to think about this stuff. It's so much more pleasant when somebody just says, like, I had a are ordering pizzas pizza tonight, and you don't have to think about dinner. It's <laughs> creating unhealthy. So with a little fish, you have everything you need. It's in a bag. You don't have to worry about the ingredients. You can just bring it with you. You cook it. You look like an expert. You look like sushi as well because suddenly everyone around you needs pizza. You've made this delicious gourmet meal that features some sort of vegetable. And, uh,
0: so last time we did the HelloFresh ad, we kind of broke the fourth wall of podcasting and talked about the copy. Um, mm-hmm. uh, this time I want to do the same. I love the alliteration of the phrase conquering the kitchen. Uh,
2: mm-hmm. but is
0: it accurate? Do you feel that way once you do a HelloFresh meal?
2: That I've conquered the kitchen? Yeah.
0: Are you like, this kitchen okay. is mine now?
2: <laughs> I don't think, I don't feel like I've ever really conquered a room unless I'm... Like, I did drywall work the other day and I felt like at the end of that, well, I, f- I felt fairly conquered by the drywall for a good amount of time, I think at the end I felt slightly conquered. But no, aside from that, I don't feel like my kitchen has ever been conquered, but I also feel like that's because if you genuinely want to know, which you've asked now, so buckle yeah. up, um, <laughs> I feel like it's more of a, like, you know, it's more of a uh, symbiotic, like, you gotta have respect for the things that you're cooking. I love the Gordon Ramsay oh, idea that, like, overcooking. Yeah, well, it's like, well, more like, you know, if you overcook, like, if you overcook a, a protein... But that's something that died. So you should probably like try to do your best to cook it the right way. Oh, that kind of respect for the dad. (laughs) Yeah, kind of. And so I feel like I don't necessarily want to think of it as a conquered pork, but more so pork <laughs> that I appreciate and thus cooked uh, tenderly and lovingly. And that is a good thing with HelloFresh. Fresh, the top you with like very step-by-step instructions. It's very much like down to the minute timing yeah. or overcook the pork. So then you won't disrespect it. So then you won't feel bad about yourself. <laughs> and you still conquer the kitchen at the same time.
0: So I, I do feel a little bit of that. Maybe conquer the kitchen is a little bit too mm-hmm. much of a... Uh, aggressive phrase but I do feel a feeling of success after I follow the step-by-step instructions and the thing that I create looks exactly like the picture because that's not what <laughs> normally happens right and I, I really think because I normally either go off script or overcook or do this or that but having the step-by-step really helps me stay on track and do it right you know what I'm saying I, I do I
2: also think that like I maybe am a little bit more of a role follower than you are on things that like don't matter. And then when it comes to like, hey, maybe don't walk out into the street blindly, I'm like, can't, it'll be fine. <laughs> and you're like, no, maybe follow the rules. Uh, but here, I'm trying to hear you against your Daryl nature to like sit and follow the rules and read the instructions. Like I'm guessing that when you buy a new piece of equipment, uh, actually, are you the person who needs the instruction manual? I don't know what I would say you are.
0: Uh, usually not unless I can't figure it out. Yeah. Basically I'll okay. I'll give it a go sure. myself without the instruction manual. And if we run into trouble Then I'll admit defeat and go back to the instruction manual.
2: And you can do that if you want, or follow these recipe cards, and that allows you to have all meals come together in thirty minutes maximum, uh, with fewer than two pots and pans, and requiring minimal cleanup. So I guess like you can try to figure it out yourself taking the Daryl route and then if that doesn't work you can go to the recipe card or you can just start with the card and uh, make them uh easily and simply
0: yeah I I and would record. say uh I would say follow the card from the start because <laughs> once you <laughs> like if it's a new tv you can't really break mm-hmm. it by getting it wrong but if it's if it's That's uh true. if it's a recipe if you don't follow the card from the start and you let's say overcook the pork you can't mm-hmm. uncook the pork there's no uncooking machine right
2: there, there isn't, but I feel like more than one panicky person has Googled that at some point. Like, <laughs> How do I uncook the turkey on Thanksgiving Day? Oh, boy.
0: If I turn my microwave upside down, can I uncook something?
2: It's, if Christopher Reeve goes around your microwave and reverses it, uh, <laughs> that's how it works. It's a really strange recipe but it tends to work
0: <laughs> obviously there are no microwave recipes for, no. for hello fresh it's about being <laughs> fresh <no> worries, <laughs> I'd be but but just a general tip don't put metal in the science oven don't <laughs> put metal in the science oven
2: <laughs> dropping references on references on references
0: <laughs> we re, well, we, we rewatched it we rewatched it the other night it's such a good movie uh
2: what's about what's about a time in hollywood also a good movie and uh, that's you I saw I it be. without Go me watch that movie did I go without you? Know, yeah, I thought you'd already seen it.
0: I thought I haven't. Oh no! I found out. Isle- oh, no. Island Taylor's is unfaithful.
2: <laughs> well, I'll go see you again because it's real, real good. Okay, real, all right,
0: good. I'm in. I'm in for that. Uh,
2: I was going to say this about it. Uh, I'm sure. Of this. Uh, it is the type of book similar to the thing that I feel like you could probably watch times and little things that will help you better understand what's happening. Yeah, not that it's difficult to follow, but just to, like. I feel like a lot of interconnected stuff that he did on purpose. I don't think yeah. it that.
0: Okay, I look forward to seeing it then. I look forward to seeing it. I also look forward to our listeners enjoying $80 off mm-hmm. their first month of HelloFresh. And they what? can get that if they go to hellofresh.com slash TSS80 and enter the Amazing. code TSS80. That's TSS80. And you'll get $80 off your first month of HelloFresh.
2: TSS80, not an O. No, then no. That one.
0: Not 80, yeah. 80. Mm-mm. Not 80, <laughs> 80. It's like receiving eight meals for free, um, and it's $20 off your first four boxes.
2: Daryl Grove, <laughs> like, like, desperately trying to keep us on copy point. We got that. <laughs> keep shaking up on tangents. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much. Hello Fresh for today's episode and for you know making it easy for Daryl to conquer the kitchen and me feel like I am one with the
0: kitchen. <laughs> All right. So we've covered your expertise. Let's get back uh, to Mike Goodman's Everton expertise. Here's the rest of my interview with Mike. Well speaking of defense, let's talk about the Everton defense. Do you do you see them starting the season with Michael Keane and Yerimina? And I, if so, you are you okay about speak. that?
1: Um I think like I think missing uh, like Kurt Zuma was good last year, so the fact that he's his loan ended and, and Chelsea look look like they're going to have him be a part of their squad this year, um is a loss. I think Gary Mina has tons of physical skills and I'm honestly not sure why he didn't play more last season. So I am cautiously optimistic uh that that as a regular he he will step in seamlessly. Um Phil Jagielka also left. He went back. He went back to his sort of boyhood club, club of Sheffield. Yeah. Um, Ashley Williams is gone, right? He's just gone. I mean, <laughs> he, he's. My understanding is that he is currently without contract. Um, I think he's. I, I don't know if he's officially retired or he's just been retired by World Soccer. You
0: oh, um, were 2016. That was a long time ago now.
1: Yeah. Right. But you know, he's 34, and Jagielka was 30. Is still 36, just somewhere else. So yeah. these guys are. You know. Um, so they are about. a little, they are a little thin at center back. Yeah, who's the
0: choice? Who, if Mina or King go down, who who's coming in? Holgate, maybe?
1: Holgate, I think, is probably supposed to provide depth both at center back and right back. But like, it's thin. It is unquestionably thin. Even if I feel okay with the top two. Also, when you consider that at right back, Seamus Coleman is uh, old and broken down. He's he's yeah. thirty. And he's just you know, by the time he recovered from a truly horrific injury a couple of seasons ago, he moved on beyond sort of the prime of his, his athletic career and, and you know, his athleticism drove a lot of what he did. So yeah. I think he'll play a lot, but I don't I, like you I was, worry about him breaking down.
0: I was confused about um I think John Joe Kenny is a right back, right? He uh, is. But he's and- sent out on loan, so I was really confused why he wasn't kept around to be the Seamus Coleman backup.
1: Yeah, I'm not really sure either. I, he wasn't like impressive last year, but like he's quite useful as as sort of a warm body or whatever. I mean, they extended <laughs> Leighton. They extended Leighton Baines as a season to be the backup uh, for a season to be the backup left back. He's 34. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it, it confused me as well. Unless they plan to sort of add some last minute, you know. Um, depth somehow or of other
0: at at time of recording there are 46 hours until the transfer window closes yeah
1: so you know i don't know um you know technically i guess they still have matthew pennington who's 24 and hasn't really played meaningful minutes for anybody meaningful on the roster it's another one of these situations where they have all these they have all these players right um who have at points played for them yeah. But are just sort of around and maybe like Kevin they,
0: Morales, Yannick Bellassi. These guys are still
1: there, right? They're all under contract. Yes. Um, and and now, like some of them, like like Morales is, is going to not be there. Like he'll be loaned out or whatever. Um, but, you know, it, who knows? Maybe they view Besic as 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 center back depth. Maybe maybe they view actually, I mean, to be fair, it's possible they view Gibamin as as figuring prominently in their center back plans. We just don't right. know that yet could Morgan Schneiderlin uh, play right back in a pinch? I mean in a super pinch, but not <laughs> uh, n- not not I mean uh, not in anything resembling like a like a uh, like anything other than an, an emergency. Um Kuka Martina, is he still there? He is under contract. I don't know that I would expect that he was loaned out last season at Feyenoord, I think. Oh, yeah. Um or is yeah. Um but he was
0: loaned out either way, so it's not like he's uh, a key part of the first team. Right, exactly. Oh. Um, and then, f- yeah. final couple of guys I want to ask about, who, in terms of like they're still around, what's going to happen? Uh, Cheng Tosun, who I think they spent twenty, thirty million pounds on last season, and Asi, who I think got a he got a decent contract, right? So, yeah, so, so, are these guys in the rotation, or are these guys in trouble? Uh,
1: I, I, I think Tosun's just going to be there by dint of being there. Um, I think he'll probably like he's a guy that you could probably see getting, you know, league cup minutes, whatever. Yeah. Um Nias was loaned out last season to Cardiff, um, has sort of spent a whole bunch of his Everton career on loan all over the place. I don't see a reason why that would change now. Um yeah. Did you, was there somebody else on that list that I'm forgetting? No, that was it. Just Nyas an yeah. and uh
0: and uh Tosun. Um yeah. here's a question. Has Guilfi still got it?
1: It depends what it is. Like he's really <laughs> really good at kicking the ball. Like he is. This is a legitimate, <laughs> legitimate skill. That's one of the parts of soccer, right? Right, yeah, this is like a legitimate skill. Um and he's like a a pretty decent almost like a second striker, right? Where he gets into the box. Gets on the end of stuff, can score goals, and I don't think any of that is, is is gone, right? Like I mean, I think that that's still part you know part of his 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 makeup, and yeah. and he's still quite good from dead ball situations. Yes, uh, always has been. Um, the problem with Sigurdsson is just his passing range is non-existent. That's, that's not fair. He's the thing. He just he's not a, a a creative player in terms of creating opportunities in open play for his teammates. That's interesting. I never thought about that. Um, you know, the, to the degree that all that, that he has creative numbers, they almost exclusively come from set plays, right? And and that is, I mean, that's a big part of why this Everton attack has flowed almost exclusively through the wings because Gilfie Sigurdsson is if he gets the ball is either recycling it out wide or shooting yeah and then when it goes out wide right right and then when he goes out wide he can get into the box and 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 that's a real sort of like a value added for the team um so the question like the question isn't has he declined i think he's still more or less what he's been for the past several seasons but it's not clear to me that that he's the best option for this team if you had somebody who could be a creative contributor in his spot instead of a goal getter
0: there's like, not an obvious replacement there right like maybe it no. richarlison playing there or maybe andre gomish moving farther forward but none of those are quite like traditional none of those number are
1: 10s quite right and all of them would be a significant departure from what silva has done like yeah. you could envision you could envision a world where, say, you know, they, they transitioned to a four-three-three, um, 3 and where you had either Gammin or Schneiderlin playing behind Gomes and Delph, right? Or Gomes and Davies or Delph and Davies. So or this against, is without Gilfie. Right, where you would drop Gilfie and you would play three more well-rounded center midfielders or one defensive midfielder and two more center midfielders. And you had a more sort of interchanging plan to get the ball up the field. Um, and you could see that maybe being a better fit for Everton's personnel, but that's just not how Marco Silva has ever really played. Um, did, you, did you
0: say that he sometimes went 4-3-3 three, three, uh, against stronger opposition? And if so, yes. when he does that, is it Guilfi that misses out or does Guilfie just
1: drop deeper? Um, and it, it has been at times where Guilfi misses out. Actually, sometimes they go three. Sometimes what they would do is go three at the back and take Guilfi off and otherwise play the same um Sigurdsson is the guy who can be taken off without sort of changing the game plan right Right. in in a very weird way it's like you just remove him everything else flows the same you just have one less body getting forward into the box
0: right so if Um, if Pickford's ever sent off it's probably Sigurdsson's getting subbed for the reserve right (laughs)
1: That's, that's that's right um and like you know it's a real advantage having him, you know, sort of being able to take up good space in, 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 in the penalty area and, and create goals for himself. But you do just sort of wonder as they've spent a year really shuffling around that line, moving with around, you know, how do we make room for Bernard? How do we make, you know, do we have to bench Walcott because he doesn't do enough? And we who can we put over on the right? That like, what if there was a situation where they either dropped Guilfie for a third center midfielder or, you know, they moved Bernard central and had Richarlison and somebody else on the way or oh. whatever they chose to do. I'd like to talk um, about
0: Bernard for a second. I, I find him a really exciting player sometimes. And I wondered what your, <laughs> what your take on Bernard is. Like, he really has had his moments, right?
1: Yeah, he does. I mean, his game is a little bit limited. Um, he – again, like um, a lot of these players, he's not good at interchanging. But he is very, very good at getting the ball across the box for other strikers and he is very, very good at sort of taking players with him as he moves into the box and creating room for Dinier uh, down the left flank. Yeah. Um, the weaknesses of his game is he doesn't really have a right foot to cut in on, so he's not balanced. Um he is not particularly a creative passer, um, so you know you don't see a lot of the kind of combinations that you're used to seeing with, uh, with say, a left-sided midfielder and a and a fullback and a center midfielder, where they sort of combine to create space to free somebody down the wing. It's much more that like he will get it isolated 1 versus 1 versus defender and figure out a way to get the ball in. Now, that said, like one of Everton's most sort of potent attacking combinations was him standing up high crosses to Richarlison at the back post. Right. And that worked really really well and Richarlison is great at getting into those positions and and Bernard was really good at getting, you know, at being able to get enough space for himself to put that ball in. So, I mean, I think that You know, he's one of those players that has such a specific game that you're really balancing all the things he does really well versus all the things that he can't do. Um, So he has to play a specific role in a specific way. But when he does it, I think that he's more than competent at it. It sounds like this, this
0: this is the way to define Everton. There's a lot of players that are very good at specific things but have specific weaknesses, and it's about trying to balance all those things and put a team together.
1: No, I mean that's right, and like to a certain extent, that's what everybody does when you're when you when you're outside the top six, right? Like everybody figures out, you know, tries to figure out what can we do to sort of like get the right collection of misfit toys that work for us. (laughs) Um, You know, some clubs do it. You know, like ideally, what you'd want is is. 3 or 4 or 5 moist keens, right? Like guys who the the misfit thing about them is that they are young and have not quite achieved their potential yet. Right. Because then if they develop into stars, well, now you've got like a real combination of stuff on your hand that can work at, at, at a very high level. Everton are starting to do that more, but what you see is still like oh, we'll take this, you know, We'll, we'll take we'll take Gomes, who's who's good at some stuff, and is a Barcelona cast off here, and you know we'll we'll, we'll make do with Bernard, who's like short and very left footed there, and okay, we'll spend way too much money on Gilfie Sigurdsson, but there are <laughs> these things that he does well. Yeah, um, you know, where does and, and, where does Michael
0: Keane fit into all that? Is he is he a signing that you as an Everton fan regret, or is he? Is he coming into his own? I mean, I'm really interested in his career because I think of him as, unless I've got this wrong, he was at Burnley and he was part he was. of the Sean system. And there was a question last year over whether maybe the system was making him look good or whether he's actually a good defender. So I'm, I'm interested to hear where you stand on that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think he's a good defender. I think he is at times a very awkward fit for Everton's system, which can leave him having to run in space a bunch. Right. And uh, That's not a thing he's good at. Not a thing he had to do at, at, at Burnley, right? Um, right. Yeah. If he is defending in sort of confined spaces where he doesn't have to turn and sort of face the goal and run back towards his own keeper, where he can step up and challenge crosses, where he can jostle with guys in the box, um, where he can make sure to not lose his marker in a crowded area. Those are things he's he's good at. Um so he is an awkward fit at times for this defensive line, but I don't. Oh, yeah, I because mean, you I... press, so he's up the field, right? right? Yeah, the space right. behind him. I remember actually. Uh, I've just remembered
0: the video of a uh, Josh Sargent nutmegging him in preseason, yeah. and Keane yes. had to take him down.
1: Right, and and like you, it's just like, on, on some level, it's just a little bit unfair to Keane, right? Like because because <laughs> this is it's like this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> um, because he was right, he he was bought under the previous manager um, as well. So, Ronald Coleman. Um, so, I don't know. Um, I, I think Keane is a fine defender. I think if you were sort of making a list of Everton problems, um, he's fairly far down the list. But yeah, it is yeah. also true he's in, he's sort of in an in, imperfect in fit.
0: Final thing I want to ask you about, and this is sort of to cover all the bases as well, because like I said, there's 40 40- – forty five and a half hours now until the transfer window closes um, are everton linked with anyone that look that looks like happening? Is there any big signing or another big signing coming before the end of the season
1: Well um, Wilfred Zaha still says he expects to go to Everton before the end of the window, Ooh. which I, I like to me is not. Is like everything that I was talking about before about the Everton churn that is bad about their – that has been bad about their transfer strategy, like he's representative of that. There is no doubt to me that Zaha is a very skilled player and he's good at a lot of the things that he does and he would – Probably be better than one of Everton's wingers, but you look at the amount of money that Everton have spent on guys in their mid to late twenties, who they then have to give huge wages to, who don't have resale value, and and you say, okay, well, is doing all of that better than taking, you know, th- th- than buying young players who may not contribute as much now, but might have more transfer value later, who might not make us two points better this season but have a potential to make us five or six points better in two years to me like the the, the gulf in space between like the kind of move that moise keen is and the kind of move that um zaha would be is huge um and maybe one cancels out the other right maybe the moise yeah. signing makes the zaha transfer
0: less of a priority
1: one would hope. That's sort of what I thought happened, and then I, th- you know, then there was another news cycle of of, of rumor mongering that that the Zaha thing was still possibly on. So I don't know. Um, Here, here's
0: my guess: that is that Everton bring in another centre back on loan to replace Kurt Zuma just to have that an extra would be, guy.
1: I mean, I think that that's a reasonable thing to think might happen, and would be like sort of perfectly appropriate and smart. Um, yeah. But
0: there, ha- it's been, Axel Tuanzebe. There's my guess. Axel. There Tons- you go. Yeah.
1: There you go. That that would work. I I'd, I'd be I'd be pretty thrilled and tickled with that. Like that that that, that would work for me. But it's been pretty quiet. <laughs> it's been pretty quiet on the center back front. I think they maybe got caught a little flat-footed. I think they were perhaps surprised that Zoom is actually in Chelsea's plans. Um They just thought that he'd be
0: sending him back for another year. They'd be sending Or that they
1: would be they would have the opportunity to purchase him as yeah. they've done with a lot of players that they've loaned in, which right. is like a reasonable strategy. Yeah. Um So
0: is there um is there anything I haven't asked you about that you think's like super you think is super important to Everton this year? I,
1: I mean, there's some off the field stuff. There's the stadium stuff um, where the they, the it finally looks like plans on the stadium might be yes. Forward. I've been reading about um, that. Yeah, so it'd be on the docks, right? Yes, and it looks gorgeous. Um, you know, like we've been here before with with this sort of the planning and and the stuff, but um, that's the kind of like long term horizon that you'd like to see, right? Which yeah. is like. We're, we're looking forward to the future. We want not only to see how good we can be this year but to see how good we can be in three years and five years and 10 years, 20 years. Um, so that's, that's encouraging and exciting um, and, and you, know, you sort of – I think I'm, I'm relatively weird as a fan in that I really do sort of like enjoy looking at the long view and the trajectory of, of, of a club. And if that is, in fact, moving forward, if they're moving in the right direction, then that that is quite encouraging to me. Um, do, and you sort worry, of,
0: do you worry about, like, say, the Spurs and Arsenal examples to me? They both denied it, but it seems to me transfer spending dried up when stadium spending started.
1: I mean, I think it's it was quite clearly the case for both of them that they did that. Um they deny it I, still, but yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's 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 not it's not an accident that all of a sudden Spurs are in their new stadium and the next the next transfer window after doing nothing for two straight transfer windows They buy like the prominent midfielder in the world who is on the transfer market and and in, yeah. in, in, in Dombalay. All right, um, yeah, I do I do worry about that, but at the same time, like it's untenable, <laughs> like. Bridging that gap and then having you know increased revenue to compete with the clubs above you is something you just gotta you gotta you gotta sort of rip the band-aid off and do it. Yeah. Um, like on the one hand, yes, look at what happened with Spurs in terms of a couple you know a couple of years of, of, of not spending a lot. On the other hand, look at what happened to Spurs. They went from a, a mid-table club to part of the big six, yeah. right? Like, Champions League final. Yeah. So you know, I mean. It's hard, honestly, to look at a model of a club moving from where Everton are to being competitive on the world stage and do better than what Spurs have done. Yeah. Um, you know there are differences. There different. You know, Liverpool is not London. Um, you know the the respective histories of the clubs are different. But sort of in general, when you look at the okay, how how do we from a big picture standpoint, if we want to be great one day, how does that happen? Like it's hard to see it without yeah. um, that kind of ambition. And there's an argument as well that, like, if like
0: a European Super League or similar type thing is coming, there's going to be a weird cutoff date where you've got to be one of the big teams at that point, or you get left behind forever.
1: That's an interesting point as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've written about this in the past, I think, but I, I have. I don't know what a Super League will eventually look like, although I suspect there will be one. Um, but yeah, I mean. I, you know, there's an argument among some fans that are like, well, you know, screw them. If the top teams want to go, we want to be here and be the big fish in a slightly smaller pond. Yeah. Um, which I'm sort of sympathetic to. Um, but yes, if, if a Super League happens and there is no mobility between the remaining domestic leagues and that Super League, if, if there's not even like limited pro rel in, in, in that situation. Then, then there's an interesting question as to would you rather be one of the best teams that doesn't make it or one of the worst teams that does and who just gets beaten up on every year because oh, you don't have the resources year. to compete with the richer teams. Yeah.
0: Speaking of resources, um, I, didn't, I, I didn't really think about this until I started reading some Everton previews in preparation for our, for our talk. Um, Everton essentially have a wealthy owner, right? Which is something I don't think about very often. They, they do have a benefactor.
1: Uh, they do. They have a lot of money now, uh, honestly, but it's not like sustainable money, right? It's it's we have a we have a rich owner and TV money, and that's enough to do stuff. Except the stuff that they're doing doesn't indicate that they have a long term plan. Right. Um, so you know, you look at you look at the teams that have become successful. They all have rich owners and tons of revenue. And sort of a long-term plan. Like you need it all. You need all three of those things. <laughs> they do have a director of football, right? They do. Um, Marcel Brands, and he's been better than their last director of football. But both Walsh, the last I say was the last. Yes, day. Steve Walsh, who they hired from from Leicester. But w- the the pattern of this, um, and and Paul Riley talks about this in the StatsBomb preview, is that both of the last two directors of football were hired after the manager was hired, which mm. is like completely backwards, yeah. right? Like. So, I'm, you know, it's unclear whether they're just sort of giving a fancy bigger title to a head of scouting or, <laughs> you know, what is exactly going on in terms of running a club well. But it, it seems quite clear that the directors of football have not really been empowered to hire a manager in that way. And that, you know, Marco Silva, you know, the other the other signing who I should have mentioned who there is rumored is Abdul Decore from Watford um, for a lot of money, too much money. Oh, the and central again, midfielder? Another central midfielder.
0: Wow. Yeah, I, but I I'm a big fan of his. I think he's he's the destroyer that maybe maybe
1: could be very useful. It's possible, but that's also like clearly Marco Silva's guy, right? Like that's the guy yeah. that Silva coached. And so if you look at what's going on with signings, like Silva's <laughs> clearly got input still. Um it's and so he's like there's a lot of questions about is this team being run as well as it could be even though they now have money.
0: Yeah. Oof. Okay, so if if people want to read more from
1: uh, Mike Goodman, um, I assume Statsbomb is
0: – you do write there as well as editing there,
1: right? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm there one to two times a week. Um, plus, you know, if you like what I do, you will like the writing of all of the writers who, who we have going up on the site at StatsBomb. There we com. go. Because
0: you change all the words to sound like you.
1: That, that, that's right. They, all... <laughs> it's
0: what bad editors do, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, do, I do want to just pl- pl- plug the guys and girls that write for me that they yeah. are all – you know, writing about data in, in soccer in a way that makes it abundantly clear that you watch and are invested in sort of the the game itself is a tricky thing to do, and, and I think we do it really well at StatsBomb, and people should check us out if that's the kind of thing that they're into. Well,
0: I'll tell you what I like about StatsBomb and also about uh, Double Pivot um, is that it's not just like here are the stats. It seems to be I think you do a really good job of marrying the uh, the stats with the eye test. You know what I mean? It's well, like I mean, the numbers and actually watching the game and just seeing things.
1: Yeah, that's – I mean that's what we try to do, right? Like to me, good stats work is going to match up with the eye test a yeah. lot, right? And then when it differs, that to me is where it's interesting. Like that to me is when you, you, you bear down and you look at it and you say, OK, what's going on here? So like Gilfie Sigurdsson is a great example of this, right? Like a lot of basic stats have him as a very – or have had him in the past at least, especially at Swansea, as a very good creative player. And then you watch him on the field and he seems somewhat uninvolved and like there are never these moments where he's playing great through ball and you're just sort of like what's going on here? And and so you then you dig it all apart. And what you find out in the the space between is that, oh, he's very good from dead ball situations. And that's where his creative numbers are coming from. Oh, it's a bunch of assists
0: from crosses, basically.
1: Right. And now you're like, oh, okay, that helps me understand what's going on a lot better. Yeah. And, you know, those are the kinds of intuitions we look
0: for. Yeah. The the opposite of that is I happened to see uh, Sky Sports News when Harry Maguire was signing for Manchester United. Uh And they just put up like a list of like – Clearances, tackles and interceptions and just compared him to a bunch of other defenders with no context around sort of right. the system they are playing in or anything like that.
1: You know, part part of the benefit of what we get to do with with, with working in, in words and at a slightly slower pace is is that we can focus on adding that context. Um, and yeah. And and it's it's sort of like this is professionally what I do.
0: <laughs> so statsbomb.com, I'll put a link in the show notes if anyone can't spell statsbomb.com. Um do you do you still freelance elsewhere or you've yeah, I mean, you can, you
1: can see me from time to time elsewhere on the web, whether that's The Athletic or or uh, The Ringer, or occasionally at 538. Um, those aren't bad places to be writing. No, those are, yeah. those are pretty good. It sounds like um, you, know, you know all the right editors. That That is... I've been doing this for long enough that, that yeah.
0: <laughs> Alright, Mike, I will close by saying thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. I really appreciate your time. I think we've got nearly an hour on Everton.
1: Alright, I enjoyed it. I hope you will be back soon. Alright, and best of luck to Everton Football Club this season. Thanks. We're probably going to need a little bit of it.